From the Ron McKeefery Podcast Network, I'm Isaiah Castilleja, and this is Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. In this episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0, Coach Tim Karen talks to us about his new book, The Strength Deficit. He shares with us on how a run-in with the great Charles Poliquin started him on a path of discovery to learn more about the ratio known as the strength deficit. And he also shares with us how he developed a multi-tiered program that allowed for customization based on position, training age, skill level, and science that can be implemented with an entire football team. All of this on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being a strength coach is difficult. And someone once said on our podcast, we pour so much into helping our athletes become better, but we forget who's pouring back into us to help us become better. Without a healthy mind, coaching on the floor, programming, and maintaining the juggling act that we call life can be difficult. The good news is the therapists at BetterHelp are here to help you. Therapy can be whatever you want it to be. Maybe you need the tools to help you keep motivated, or maybe you're feeling burnt out from long days in the weight room, or you just need someone to talk to. BetterHelp is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist at a time that works for you. We have a very busy schedule as a strength coach, and the last thing we need to do is be driving to an office and sitting in a waiting room. Simply log into your account and message or speak to your therapist from anywhere at a time that works for you. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. BetterHelp also assesses your needs and will match you with one of over 20,000 therapists in their network. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself and make your mind your best asset. We train to keep our bodies strong and resilient. Now it's time to invest in our mental health too. And as a special offer to Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0 listeners, you can get 10% off your month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash chalk. That's betterhelp.com slash chalk. And thanks again for BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Perch delivers velocity-based training, no strings attached. Perch was engineered at MIT and uses compact 3D cameras to monitor and manage weight room performance without being a distraction. Perch is a VBT built for the 21st century. Attach Perch to any weight rack in minutes. While you lift, Perch uses cameras to passively collect velocity and power data, output in real time, and store in post-workout analysis. Perch is a revolutionary and innovative sports technology device that enhances workouts, reduces injuries, and saves time. Perch works with every level organization from the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, the military, D1 through high school, the private sector, and the home gym. Perch is portable, easy to install, and intuitive to use, making it ideal for every facility and every training goal. No more pre-workout setup, no more wearables, no more broken strings. Set Perch up once, optimize every rep, every set, and every training session. Train with increased precision and measure and manage your progress every step of the way. For exclusive deals and offers, head to perch.fit 
slash chalk. Again, that's perch.fit slash chalk to check out deals, exclusive offers, and see how Perch can help take your program to the next level. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Today, I'm joined by Coach Tim Karen. He is currently the owner and co-founder of Allegiant Gym in California. And prior to Allegiant, he was at Army uh, uh, Army West Point. And prior to Army, he had stops at uh, USC, Harvard, Georgia Tech, Ole Miss, Springfield College, and Velocity Sports Performance. Welcome back to the podcast, Coach. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Fired up to be back on. Yeah, definitely. And, and let's just jump right into it. You have a book coming out called Strength Deficit, uh, Leveraging Ratios Between Eccentric and Concentric Strength. Let's just dive right into that. What, uh, what do you got going on with the book? Uh, so I think it helps to give context as to why I wrote the book, and then I'll go through what the actual book is. So last year at Army, preface this, uh, USC, I tried to do a multi-level program. So I was responsible for all programming when I worked at USC, um, working with the football program. And I tried to incorporate a multi-level program, uh, which to be honest, I don't know if it was necessarily needed there. Uh, it was just more of, okay, I think we can push the boundaries with some of our elite level athletes. The problem being is maybe it wasn't the right time or I didn't really have a good grasp of how to incorporate a multi-tiered program within a singular program, um, at least logistically. And probably it wasn't a lot of buy-in from everybody. It may be just me trying to self-experiment. Um, on the other end though, go to Army and it's literally a roster that quite frankly is completely underdeveloped and and I don't want to bash the person who's there before me because I think there's an element of there's a lot of things that uh, that coach had to overcome. And it just, to be honest, it wasn't probably nearly his fault. Um, so the other part is there's always a reason why you take a job is because they were bad. You know? So like, you know, like you're there for a reason, right? It's not because they were really good and the roster was super hard work or super talented and, and great in the weight room. It's there's just only one way to go up when you're taking a program that's lost to their rival for at that point, 13 years in a row and was light years away from where it is now. So that became a, like, let's look at this a little bit. So my staff who I still like, had Will Greenberg, who's with the Buffalo Bills now, Darren Mustard, who went to Nebraska and USC. Um, he was amazing. Brian Phillips, who became the head strength coach at Elon and James Madison and UMass. Um, just all really amazing coaches. And actually had Brian Hess in my last year there as well as now the head strength coach at North University of North Carolina. I had a really good staff. And and the the obviously the one thing, oh, it must be so great to work with the guys at Army. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. I mean, there's a lot of like hoops you got to jump through working with military athletes, but as a whole, like, you know, you got probably the best platform to do something like a multi-level program from the coaching staff that I had uh, and the athletes that I had. And the bigger thing is there's a functional need, right? The, the roster really needed to get developed and quickly. And we always 
talked about, like if we're going to make an impact on wins and losses, it's probably going to be the greatest contribution here, relatively speaking to anywhere else that we might've worked. Right. So from that, Hey, we wanted to push the threshold. We wanted to push the, the, the needle of performance. And we really wanted to get as much out of our strength conditioning program as a whole bioenergetically, biomotorly. And then as we're going to talk about with the book is from a force contraction or type of contraction type of uh, a continuum. So um, there's some good resources out there, obviously science of practice and then super training. And then, you know, just the, I think everyone kind of read at this point, triphasic training by Cal Dietz. It's this thought of, of where do we leverage, you know, certain types of contractions from eccentric to concentric or even isometric and a yielding and overcoming standpoint. So all these resources out there, but I'd be remiss to say that the biggest influence on me was Charles Poliquin. And I'm, I've gone through level four and I've done internships with Charles. I can remember going back with actually Will Greenberg to Utah State with Dave Scholes, Alan, Alan Bishop, Joey Burgles, the whole nine. It was an amazing week that we spent with them that we could just directly aspects to him. But at one seminar, I remember Charles saying this in a way that was um, kind of passing. And it's always Charles's deal of like, Hey, like, yeah, you could do this and you know, whatever. And then you ask him about it. He's like, just downplays it. He doesn't care. Right. But it was like, it was like a moment of like, what's an interesting concept. And the way he prefaced it was, Hey, how do you leverage eccentric versus concentric track uh, contractions in a, in a, in a one-on-one -on -one or a team setting, he's a guy, you just got to develop strength deficit. And just said that in passing. Uh, and I followed up with him. I asked him, I was like, what does that mean? He kind of like, ah, it's just what your ratio of eccentric eccentric strength is. And didn't like even acknowledge the fact that I thought it was a very thoughtful and very um, it, really ingenious way to look at how do we prepare athletes for their event. And he made a quick analogy. He's like, it's just like you would do with a track and field athlete. Like if I have a shot putter, I'm not going to train the same way as I train a hundred meter sprinter or a triple jump one needs to be way more concentric and overcome inertia and things that that guy needs to create force in a small confined space versus a skill athlete would have to be really good in space or a hundred meter sprinter or triple jumper would have to be able to utilize elastic energy or eccentric strength just more efficiently so it kind of creates this like pretty nice archetype for training athletes on one end of the spectrum you have football guys and you have you know vince wolfolk who's 350 pounds playing in the same field as, as uh, Devonta Smith, who's 160 pounds soaking wet. Both are ex excellent at the position, but they're playing the same game at the same time at a high level. So in terms of training, you know, thinking about it, like I'm going to a track and field meet, I want to prepare those guys as best as possible. The strength conditioning program for a track for a shot putter should be inherently different than a hundred meter sprinter. And the same thought process for a, a football player. Right. And that kind of created this, like, all right, now who's eccentric and concentric and um, following it up. Obviously, if you've read tier system, you can see like Joe Ken talking about inside the oxide, outside the box, like pretty clean way to delineate one versus the other. And we could do it bioenergetically, right. We can look at it from an energy system perspective and we did GPS on all of our guys at army. And then we did workloads via RPE times minutes of activity. So we got their acute chronic score. We knew what they were doing from a bioenergetic standpoint. So from just breaking them up in inside, outside the box, there was a fundamental need to do that, right? We needed to prepare these guys from an energy system perspective for what they're going to be 
going through in practice and preseason, like our skill guys, the way we set up our fields and practice was three to five miles on the low end of what they were running during the course of a 24 to 26 period practice. Now our big guys, they were keeping it pretty much under an hour because they're staying on one field and doing all their individuals in that area. So bioenergetically, like, we almost had to look at our skill guys as how do we accumulate 20 miles a week for training or get them prepared from that from an orthopedic standpoint between their foot ankle complex um, looking at their transitional stuff and their oxidative capacity that could be one reason why we went inside the outside the box but the other side is okay well again coming back to what charles said in passing of do we have uh, an actual rationale as to why i'm focusing on a 50xo tempo eccentrically focused or am i just doing it because i think it's good in the moment or do i have an extra specific reason um and and it led into this there's, there's actually a facilitative effect and if you look at something like hill's model of looking at how we leverage connected tissue and the transfer of energy from the muscle cell to the actual bone which this gives really cool stuff from Franz Bosch of looking at the downsides of Hill's model of like it's working in two dimensions. So we need to take some, I guess, some sort of like liberties or some sort of perspective on it's not 100% one to one. But in that sense of if I can look at a series elastic component, meaning it's connecting the muscle cell to the actual tendon and ligament versus the connective tissue surrounding that muscle cell, with the parallel elastic component, we can start to look at maybe I can mitigate the passive energy utilization to help this person that's going five, six miles to still be explosive and have a high phosphogen system capacity towards the end of the game. So again, it kind of led all the way back into, okay, does that person leverage his stretch shortening cycle more efficiently to express more rate of force development in a counter to a eccentric load? Great. Awesome. That's a great rationale right there in itself. But then it started building into like, there's actually a functional need bioenergetically to really think about this as well from how we leverage passive energy transfer from our muscle cell to our actual skeletal system to move. So it started like really building in. And I would say just wrapping up the construct as to why like I really leaned in on this was went to Altus. And I remember Stu McMillan talking about, hey, I train my 100 meter sprinters either long to short based off this simple question of, are you a push and a pull guy? And I thought it was a really interesting like way to put this. And we've kind of like classified people in that way, kind of jokingly after the fact, but someone who's a push oriented person. And there's actually like in Stu's you know, infinite wisdom and keeping it simple and really, I think elegantly like expressed like to tr translate to the athlete and how he wants to train them and why he might do more reflexive stuff or reactive stuff and some of the exercises he might do in the weight room or on the track and field was this idea of like they're push oriented they're probably better at generating force so you can kind of think like a ben johnson body type all right that person's going to be really really powerful and have high force development um probably really good in that acceleration and what he would say is start with the weakness and end with the strength so he would go long to short conversely you look at a usain bolt body type he'd probably say i really like to do a pulling exercise over a pushing exercise so if i said are you prefer deadlifts over over that probably really long levers um really efficient in terms of utilizing that stretch shortening cycle he would train him short to long because we just need to improve his first 10 meters, 20 meters. So we're having this like 
that thought process. But they said something really interesting. And I remember Dan saying this in his uh, poolside chats. He's like, the only thing that's correlated to shot put in the weight room is incline bench. And it kind of like triggered what Charles kind of said to you before of it's a concentrically oriented exercise. So yeah, that would make sense, right? Like what we find in the weight room is most exercises from a strength and conditioning perspective we do it has a concentric ceiling that we can never do an exercise past its concentric ability. And we're diminishing the value that we potentially might get eccentrically or in a isometric standpoint, which are organically stronger than concentric strength. So it started piecing together. Okay. I have a track and field example of what Stu McMillan's doing and what Dan kind of said in passing. I have all the way back on the other end of, of what Charles said is like, yeah, I would train them this way based off the contraction types and why I would organize eccentric stuff. And I have other good resources between super training, science and practice, and even Cal stuff of like, okay, well, there's a lot of frameworks here. I just don't think that this is like organic predetermined thing of, all right, you should go eccentric, isometric, and concentric facing matching a counter movement jump direction. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think it's a generic prescription from, uh, Zatiorski and science of practice of, Hey, we should do set a uh, 60% concentric, th- uh, 20%, uh, or 30% isometric or, e- or eccentric and then 10% isometric. I'll make sure to say that again, 60% concentric, 30% cons- uh, eccentric, and then 10% isometric. You know, that's not, I don't think that's a generic prescription. Again, if we're completely detraining, all of the eccentric and isometric capabilities because they have such a higher level of force potential, then we're doing a great disservice to some of our athletes who need to be better in space. We'll be right back. Woodway is a company that has been designing and building treadmills and equipment for the long run since 1974. Each of their treadmills is designed with the revolutionary slap belt running surface, which is both lightweight and durable. It is specifically designed to absorb energy at the point of impact, eliminating harmful shock to joints and connective tissues. 100% of the NFL, NBA, and MLB teams and 60% of NHL teams utilize Woodway products to optimize their training. Woodway's curved treadmill was released in 2009 and boasts a completely self-powered manual training experience that does not require any electricity. This unique piece of equipment allows athletes to run at any pace they choose and burn up to 30% more calories than the regular treadmill. Other unique offerings from Woodway include the Curve Trainer, Curve XL, Forefront, and Pro Treadmills. Each treadmill offers features that are fit for every athlete. The silent and energy efficient product from Woodway has resulted in 50% electricity savings for owners. If you're looking for equipment that is built to last and will improve, and provide each of your athletes an experience like no other, check out Woodway today at woodway.com. So then it goes into looking at the team in front of us that there's only one way to go. Let's start to push, right? And then we started creating like what we call developmental groups, right? So we had, we had, uh, we timed it to like what a true, a generic military term, but uh, elite Delta Alpha Bravo and Bravo would be our baseline group. So we start off everyone there. Let's just develop them in a traditional sense, get them really good movement patterns, right? Let's develop their squat, their hinge. We utilize a lot of Olympic lifting, 
getting them familiar with landing mechanics and deceleration mechanics and um, putting the brakes into the system metaphorically before we start to add the accelerator. And then we start to progress and we know a little bit more about them. So that's when we start to, when we get to our, our alpha program, which would be that second year or depending on how they, well they do in the Bravo program. All right, now we're going to transition into inside and outside the box. And we're going to focus a lot on, on just bioenergetics. Like let's get their energy systems in this group really specific to what they need to do in the field because now they should start making a transition to getting more time on varsity and then it goes into this alpha of like okay we're really going to start to lean in on rate of force development and almost looking at just tempo in general to kind of really get them as close to what they're doing on the field for their position and i think it's getting more and more closer to what this strength deficit model really looked at and then what we went into is that elite program where it was like we're just doubling down putting all of our chips on the table and saying we're going to lean in on this strength deficit type of outcome so for the first three years was let's get them and i always kind of looked at kpis they should run fast they should jump higher or far and they should be able to throw a med ball really really far and i think that was like kept me honest in terms of my exercise selection my periodization scheme of like i don't care if they squat squat clean and bench what i do care it's translated into something as a great intermediary to what they need to do on the field so i can look at that as okay if it's moving the improvement of them running faster 40s and 20s if they're jumping higher if they're jumping further and they're taking a five kilo med ball and throwing it further that the program is metaphorically working um, on, a, on a general scale. But then when we got to that last year, this was supposed to be the year that they should be peaking. And this should be the year that we should be getting as specialized as possible. So you can look at it from, you know, a dynamic correspondence or a yeses type of, of SPP type of model. Uh, these are what I kind of call like special preparatory exercises of what is going to have more eccentric emphasis and what's going to have more concentric emphasis and leveraging this pattern that we've really developed in peak like it you know if i was going to do a three rm on back squat what more could i possibly get out of it if i start to add variables on top of it so if i want to make it more concentric well maybe i want to add accommodating resistance through bands or chains if i wanted to make it more eccentric maybe i want to add a slower eccentric or potentially weight release hooks and try to figure out how much can i get more into that direction and that last year was okay this is the year it's make or break quote unquote contract year we really needed to at that point get the most out of our seniors and say it's make or break time so we're going to try to push this and kind of made us revisit our testing and our correlate things right so talked about the sprint jump and throw profiles that we created it started this next evolution of well how much does a counter movement jump really matter or a vertical jump really matter to a big guy like i think we can all attest to that 330 pound guy who can jump 16 inches who's a really good offensive lineman and you start to think i would love if that guy had a 30 inch but doesn't seem to be really that impactful right it could be a 70 or 60 percent correspondence if we made some improvement but is that really that relevant versus, well, what does that guy need to do from a positional standpoint? He comes from a three-point stance, so a static position, and then he has to push out or drive out horizontally as much as possible. All right, well, maybe it needs to come from a non-counter movement. So we start to look at what is their non-counter movement ability 
And we start to create some sort of some rationale of like, okay, is this guy really adept at creating force from a static position? Yes or no. And what is that relatively speaking to his counter member jump? And that is what created this measurement system for looking at strength deficit. It's this dynamic of, okay, what is their ratio between a counter movement jump versus a non-counter movement jump, or what a lot of times the research will call a squat jump, and deciding where position they play and how much are they skewed to that one way or the other. And what you realize really quickly when you do your traditional concentrically oriented training program is organically, you're going to shift to a smaller deficit, meaning that your counter movement jump won't rise as much as you probably think it should versus your non-counter movement jump will rise up correspondingly because everything you're doing has a concentric emphasis so if i squat i clean i bench it's all overcoming gravity and that's the rate limiting step for the weight i can use on that exercise so it translates to being good at not utilizing the stretch shortening cycle or really honestly really improving the elastic function or eccentric function of that athlete so in a sense that like transition from improving vertical jump from just doing a traditional getting them stronger approach. It's just the initial like novelty of they were weak in those exercises and it's transferring over, which is great. It's still time tested, proven and a really important thing to do. However, it has a ceiling on what you could potentially get on that. And if that person needs a wider gap to function at a high level in their position, being really good in space, be able to go large distances, almost like a soccer player or a, a, a perimeter player in rugby of like, well, that person needs to be really oxidatively developed and needs to be able to sprint at any given moment and change direction. And not these like transitional stuff that we talk about in terms of power cutting of coming to zero velocity, but they need to be really good in speed cutting, which is easily more elastic than, than what we would look at in a power cutting where they have to stop, decelerate, and then reaccelerate another direction. These these athletes need to change direction without slowing down. So the minimal droppage in velocity means they actually transition better. And that's just definitely more elastic. So in a way we looked at, all right, now going into that last year, it was okay. We are, where we were at, right. The, the decisions that we made from a biomechanic standpoint, a bioenergetic standpoint to prepare them for what we wanted them to do on the football field is put us here. Now we have a ratio of looking at counter movement jump to non counter movement jump it is what it is. So doing that, it's, it's made it smaller, right? And that's, that was, I'm not upset about that. I'm not, I'm not devaluing what we do for the first three years of our strength conditioning program in army, but going into that last year, it has to come into this transition of, well, if that person needs to be better in space, I need to find out creative ways to widen that gap and get more out of that counter movement jump relative to non counter movement jump versus that might actually be beneficial to decrease that gap even more. So it just gets more specialized and more nuanced based off of position. And that's okay. What, what's going to have more of a concentric influence? Okay. Accommodating resistance, coming out of a static position, doing pauses, maybe doing an overcoming isometric as opposed to a yielding isometric, doing things like stuff that has no deceleration, like more med ball throws, right? Versus 
if I wanted to increase that deficit, I got to do things with more eccentric emphasis. Again, we talked about it, weight release talk. It might be a great time to utilize some of those oscillating bars, a bamboo bar, a tsunami bar, because there's a massive reflexive component to that. When we look at some of the stuff, when Bosch's transitional stuff and this co-contraction, can they hit and react, right? So if I hit and react and I can kind of add in constraints by holding on to something or putting myself in a position or giving myself boundaries to work within, I can start to create more of an elastic benefit. And what it did also for me was give some sort of criteria of like, hey, when am I supposed to do small-sided games? Like, right, ever we keep hearing that from a bio, about an energy system development thing that it transfers more, but you're looking at it like, I got a 300 pound guy over here that if I do that and that guy gets hurt playing tag or doing something that's quote unquote fun, because it's just not eccentrically capable or not from a movement perspective capable, but it's also probably not that relevant. So what is a good small sided game for an offensive lineman outside of like mirror drill versus a skill guy playing these like, like really, we got super creative looking at very intricate partner chases of instead of like getting them on the ground in a, super, in a prone position and saying, go and having to chase the guy and tag them. We made a bunch of obstacles to put through there to kind of give it some sort of optionality. And we found that we found more permission and comfortable doing that with our skill guys and realizing that we're so cautious and, and I guess risk averse because our big guys couldn't do that. And the one that was really exemplified for me was doing things like depth jumps or even complexes over hurdles or looking at it as something like a bound, right? And a bound by definition is one leg to the opposite leg. You typically don't get that far in a plyometric progression because you're looking at that 300 pound guy with a 16 inch vertical and saying, I know he's not going to be good at that. I simply know that. And you're like, eh. and even to something looking at tempo runs, right? Like we look at tempo runs as probably not going much over 30 to 50 meters and with our big guys. Right. And like, it's almost taboo to do one tens or, or half gassers or things like that with the guys. Cause just they're never going to run that long. Right. But with our skill guys and we, we want to develop that rhythm or that fluidity. And we look at the way they run that we're all backside mechanics because we'll only focus on acceleration and overcoming inertia that we never really get to things like front side mechanics and wicket runs and doing things and running with relaxation. Right. So we had more permission to do these things that we knew were good, uh, but we're going to do some top end speed and some front side mechanic stuff, some tempo runs, some bounding, some depth jumps, some small side of the games that we would never do because we were so timid and afraid because our 300 pound offensive lineman was not going to be good at it or at high risk. So we, that dividing and conquering, I thought made us way better at programming and then proofs in the pudding, right? What did it work or not? Right. And I think that's probably the most important thing is, does this actually materialize into something positive? And we looked at, did we make a net impact positively on these, on these ratios between counter movement and non-counter movement? Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. On the other end, now that we have force plate technology, we can look at other metrics to really cooperate that. So let's say I don't want to do a counter movement or non-counter movement jump in terms of a baseline testing. I can simply look at reactive strength index or how much time I spend on the plate versus time in the air and say, is that person really adept at using stretch training cycle? Yes or no. That means my strength deficit program is increasing or increasing the deficit to get more elastic quality versus in the other end, I can look at something like impulse, which is going to go up three ways. How much force I produce, the rate of force and how long I produce that force. So if I look at that, a person produces a lot of force, 
doesn't matter where they came from, from a static or non-static position, they're a good spot from what we want from shrinking the deficit standpoint. So now as we got more advanced technology and better testing, it would be even better to do now. But unequivocally, that ratio improved based off that position group. And it led to obviously improved performance. I mean, injuries were always really good thing, kind of always tip of our cap from really focusing on structural balance and progressive based programs and progressive overload and doing a really good job of, of managing workloads throughout the year and working on things like bioenergetics. And I thought that was probably the biggest reason why we limited injuries, but even more so guy who's been in the system, who's played this many reps over the course of three, four years and practicing three or four years, playing a full 12 games without getting hurt is a, is a, is an amazing accomplishment, but we actually performed better. We won more games, you know, and like we had better, we had a better team. We recruited better. So I don't want to be like, Oh, look at us. We took the same blank roster that went Oh, and 12 the year before we got there and ended up winning, beating Navy and winning a bowl game or last year there. But the truth is, is that that program benefited significantly from a more thoughtful and more, uh, more direct approach based off of what we thought were the limiting factors based off position and trying to lean in on it and being conscious and objective about, all right, well, is this actually moving the needle towards this? And is it actually valuable? Does that actually, is it actually reliable? So those were all the big reasons. And what I did with the book is almost chronicle that and give some sort of efficacy behind the rationale of, well, why is eccentric strength important? And why is concentric strength important? And what is that relative to? What are the underlying physiological mechanisms? What are the underlying biomechanic mechanisms? What are the, the testing and monitoring things we should do? And essentially just brain dumping that all into one single source resource. And then I think the most important part, and there is a second order, which I'll, I'll go into more detail here down the road, but the logistics of it, the practical application. Um, and going forward, I intentionally left out specific protocols that we did because I do want to get this context of understand why this framework might be something you should look into. Give yourself a context of thinking before you start to blindly apply some of these methods and protocols and exercises. Understand the underlying principles behind this. And then you make that decision of this is a really good thing. And then I got to figure out what do I need to do to apply? And all of that together really is just what strength deficit hopefully is supposed to be. It's that collectively there. And here we are. Now we have a book coming out here, uh, hopefully in a couple, a month or two. Heck yeah. No, that, that's exciting. And I, and I saw like the, the cover, like you had it on your, uh, I think your podcast um, Instagram and voted on it. And I was reading like the little tagline that you have with it, which is uh, leveraging ratios between eccentric and concentric strength. And I was, I was glad you were able to touch on that. It's a little bit of, like you said, super training and, and then uh, Zatsiorski and whatnot. And then also Cal's like, how is this different from the more popular versions of like the tempo that we're doing? And I think that answers a lot of questions. I think it's uh, it's a very good way of saying, you know, just do a little, it might be a little extra work for the strength coach, but just take the time because it's not a one size fits all, especially for a football team when you got, you know, 120, 140 guys. And like you said, those the very different needs for each uh, position. The Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0 podcast is brought to you by Play. 
Listen in on a conversation with Play's Global Director of Performance and Education, Coach Mike Buley. Coach Buley describes the vision of how Play will continue to be the company that will propel the innovation of the strength and conditioning profession forward. Well, after 22 years of, of coaching, I've learned that connection trumps communication and that it's not enough for coaches to know that you care. And I think you got to take that step further. They need to experience that you care. And I've always been a coach that tried to be more tra uh, transformational than transactional. And so with that awareness in mind too, I always enjoyed working and learning and talking to other people and, and coaches and developing that camaraderie. I've always been, made myself available to the community because I remember how hard it was too to try to get a crack into this this profession. And uh, I promised myself if ever I was given a shot, I would never take advantage of that. I always allow myself to uh, help other people uh, chase their dreams in this profession. It's been very good to me. Play is a company that will help your strength conditioning program find solutions for all your needs. Review second best and check them out at play.us for more information. Join the thousands of coaches across the world that are part of Team Builder Nation. The incredible online strength and conditioning software provides a toolbox for features for all coaches at all levels. One awesome feature is the 1RM Max Tracker. Team Builder makes tracking maxes easy for any method since you can record and store max data, project 1RM over time, and use the stored maxes to determine prescribed weights for an exercise and have access to the visual reports so you can see the maxes over time. Other features include an updated messaging platform and the ability to create sports science questionnaires for athletes or clients to answer on their own phones that's right, that's sports science data in the palm of your hand. Start your free 14-day trial today by using the promo code CHALK, that's promo code C-H-A-L-K, and begin programming with the software built to fit any level strength coach in any setting. Team Builder prides itself on putting the customer first and offers affordable pricing with subscription plans starting at just $50 a month. For more information, on everything that Team Builder has to offer or schedule a 30-minute demo with Team Builder Expert, visit teambuilder.com and let them know Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0 sent you. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to our great guests for taking the time to share their experiences. Thank you to Play and Team Builder for being great companies that help our profession. And most importantly, thank you, the listeners. Please find us on social media at Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Find our show notes on wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a rating, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to say hi. It's great to hear from coaches from around the country. Talk to you all next week on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0.